For years, I found myself going to a particular author's website over and over again. Why? Because I liked his movie reviews. We had similar taste in movies, and chances are if he liked a movie, I would too. Book reviews and movie reviews are one of the most obvious answers to the question, what should I talk about in my email newsletter? And what should I talk about in my author blog? While reviews are great for everyone, they are magic for unpublished novelists who otherwise have very little to say in their newsletter. But writing reviews on books and movies can help them develop their taste, develop their voice, and develop their audience. If you are wondering what you should blog about, if you are wondering what you should put in your email newsletter, reviews of similar books and movies to the one you are working on is probably the answer. Writing reviews also keeps you reading and forces you to read with intent. So it really does help you develop your craft. Readers don't want to read your blog post on how to write romance novels, but they may want to read your review of the popular romance book that everyone is talking about. Reviews help readers find new books, which is a huge blessing to them. And in helping them, they see you as a source of book recommendations, which is really helpful when it comes time to recommend your own book. But there is a catch and two different listeners called with questions wondering about it. Thomas, do you have any suggestions on where I can learn how to write captivating book reviews? Hi, Thomas. I was wondering if you had any tips for fiction writers who are thinking about writing book reviews for the genres on their blogs. One, I don't want to do it if it's not going to help attract readers and help build up my tribe of fans. Two, I think I'd rather die than do the star rating with a blurb thing. I was thinking of doing an author highlight, giving the back cover copy, and then talking about the things I liked about the book, you know, the plot, the characters, etc. Then I would link it to link to it and message the author to let them know about it. Anyway, thanks for your help. Thanks for your questions, and those tips are what you're going to get in this episode. We're going to answer the question, how to write the kind of book reviews that readers want to read and want to share with other readers, the kind of book reviews that help you grow your audience before your book comes out or after your book comes out. This is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world, and I am Thomas Umstead, Jr., CEO of Author Media. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. Now, before we talk about how to write reviews, you need to decide what kind of review you're writing. And you can put reviews basically into two major categories. The first is what I'll call a standard review. It's all about helping the reader answer the question, is this the kind of book I would enjoy reading? You see this for both fiction and nonfiction. You see short versions of these reviews all over Amazon. And readers typically seek out this kind of review before they read the book. Uh, another benefit of writing this kind of standard review on your blog is that it helps readers discover a book they may not have known even existed. And this is a real value add because there are millions of books in the world. Every day, a thousand new books gets published, and if you found a gem, pointing that out can be very beneficial. And it not only helps the reader, but it also helps the author of that book find a new audience. It's a win-win. Now, the second kind of review is a spoiler review, and this is a very different kind of review and a surprisingly popular 
kind of review. I asked listeners on authormedia.social if they read reviews for a book after they finished reading it. And most of them did. And I was not surprised because I personally read more reviews after I read a book than I do before I read a book. Before I read the book, I look at how many reviews a book has and I listen to see if my friends are recommending it, but I don't typically read reviews on the book. Sometimes I do, but usually I don't. But after I read the book, I often look at the reviews. And I think the reason why people like to read reviews afterwards is to better understand the book they just read. Spoiler reviews give readers a sense of community and a place to discuss the book. Readers are curious to see if anyone else noticed that the author got the horses all wrong or that one historical fact in the nonfiction book was inaccurate, right? Readers love talking about that sort of thing, and a spoiler review is the place for it to happen. Some readers like spoiler reviews because it lets them skip the book altogether. They say, I want to be able to talk about thinking fast and slow without actually having to finish the book. Or, I don't want to read Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, but I want to be able to argue with people who like Jordan Peterson. So what should I know? And there's a lot of these kinds of people who are looking to skip reading a book. And a lot of students who are looking for cliff notes online. In fact, I know a guy who did a review of the Communist Manifesto as a spoiler review, specifically targeting students who he knew weren't going to actually read the book. So that is a totally legitimate way to review a book and one that could be quite popular with reviewers. Now, I need to talk about a problem that most reviews have, and that is that most reviews are boring. They're really boring. Book reviews, if the reviewer doesn't know what she's talking about, can be painfully dull. And I think that reviews that are boring typically are boring because they lack one of four critical elements. So let me go through those critical elements and give you tips on how you can incorporate them into your reviews to make them more interesting to read. The first is courage. Your duty as a reviewer is to your reader, not the author of the book. This is particularly hard for authors because we are authors. We identify with the author of the book and we don't want to hurt his or her feelings. But don't water down your opinion just because you're afraid to hurt the author's feelings. This not only makes the review more boring, but it causes it to reach fewer people. A courageously negative review may actually sell more copies of a book than a boring milk toast one. Why? Because no one reads boring reviews. But if everyone is talking about how much they hate Twilight, you know what? A lot of people are going to read Twilight to see what all the fuss is about. Speaking of hate, the second tip for making reviews less boring is passion. It's the second ingredient. You need courage and you need passion. The more you care about the book or what the book could have been if you didn't like it, right? You have an ideal book and this book is failing to live up to its potential and you're passionately sad about that. The more enthusiastic you are, the more readers will enjoy reading your review. Enthusiasm is infectious. Apathy is noxious. The more enthusiasm you have for your genre, the more fun and convincing your reviews will be. So we've talked about courage. We've talked about passion. Now let's talk about specificity. Good reviews talk about the specifics of what you liked and didn't like. And you can be very specific about what you liked about a book without spoiling it. For instance, I can talk about how much I love the characters of Avatar The Last 
Airbender. I love how each of them change. I love how they interact with each other. And I love that by the third season of the show, they are each totally different. (laughs) But you'll have to watch the show to find out how they change, right? So I can tell you that they change without telling you how or why. And you can get that specific, but if it's a spoiler review, you can talk exactly about how Zuko goes from being a hater to a lover, right? How he goes from hunting down the Avatar to joining the Avatar. And that spoils the first season, which I'm sorry, but it's been 10 years, so you've had your chance. But people who've read the book love to have a place to discuss it, right? To love to discuss the change in the characters or, or what have you. All right, courage, passion, specificity, and finally, originality. Before most people write a review, they read the other reviews about a book so they can be similar. Don't do that. Read the reviews, but then say something new. We already have those reviews, so tell us what you thought, not what you think society wants you to think. There's a lot of pressure to conform right now. There's always pressure to conform, but I feel like it's particularly strong right now for whatever reason. People don't want to stick out. The lone banana gets peeled. The highest blade of grass gets cut, right? These are sayings that people are sharing with each other. And I just want to say that the only way to stand out from that pressure is to resist it. The only way to stand out is to be willing to stand out. So say something fresh, say something new. Don't feel like you have to agree with the crowd. Did everyone love a book and you hated it? Share it. In fact, if you're going to you know, hate on a book, Pick one that's popular, right? Be courageous. Don't hate on a book that no one read. That's, you know, bullying the little kid. Uh, Instead, stand up to the bullies, right? Punch up, don't punch down. All right, the next tip for making your book more interesting and really for helping guide your reviews overall is to pick an angle. Picking an angle not only makes the reviews more interesting to readers, it often makes them easier to write and faster to write, which is important because you still want to spend most of your time writing your book, not writing book reviews of other people's books. And if you pick a good angle, instead of reviewing the whole book, perhaps you can only review one aspect of the book. So I'm going to walk through different angles that you can pick, but there are far more than this. In fact, I encourage you to come up with a cool angle that no one has thought of before. So one common angle is a persona review. This is where you pick one particular aspect of your identity and you use that aspect of your identity to review the book. So a homeschool mom's review of The Shack or a Texan's review of the Dark Tower series, right? You could be a homeschool mom and a Texan, but by picking that one part of your identity, you're making people curious and you're also giving yourself a grid, right? If I'm a Texan reviewing the Dark Tower series, readers are going to expect me to, you know, review whether they got the cowboy parts right, right? Is the portrayal of the cowboys a good portrayal or not? One example of this is the popular YouTube channel called Girlfriend Reviews. Now, this is a YouTube channel that doesn't review video games, but rather reviews what it's like to live with someone who plays a certain video game. So the channel talks a lot about how annoying the game is to listen to from the next room, for instance. And this channel has over 1 million subscribers. People are curious. (laughs) Will this game bother my wife? Will this game bother my girlfriend? Well, this... Uh, channel will tell you the answer to that question. And this kind of approach of picking one part of your identity, you can totally use for book reviews. Another kind of angle that you can pick is a content review, right? Is this book R-rated or PG-rated? I can't tell you how many readers I run into that are wondering 
this question. There's a rating system that covers content for movies. There's a rating system that covers content for video games. And even some music gets a rating. And yet for books, you often have no idea. Sometimes the cover gives you an idea of what's in the book. Sometimes it does not. And what kind of content is objectionable depends on the readers, right? Some readers have no problem with violence, but they're very offended by harsh language or sexual content. Whereas other readers don't mind harsh language at all, but any kind of violence is very offensive. And so writing a content review forces you to know what your audience cares about. And this is very helpful when it comes to writing your book, right? If your readers really don't like sexual content in your book and even kissing is offensive to them, you need to know that before you write that steamy kissing scene. There's almost an unlimited demand for this kind of review. Of all of the angles I'm talking about, this one is probably the easiest to quickly get an audience for because most books never get a content review from anyone on any metric, right? Not on racism, not on sexual content, not on profanity, not on anything. So you could be the one and only content review at all for a book. Another similar angle you could pick is a worldview review. Does this book secretly advocate for communism or feminism, or capitalism, environmentalism, conservatism, liberalism, etc., etc.? Every ism has an audience who wants to know if the book will match their worldview before they read it. <laughs> Theoretically, we'd like to live in a world where people don't care, right? They, they're, they want to learn about the ideas of others. But in reality, that's not the world we live in. People want to read books that match the worldview they already have. And so you can help them see if this book will match their worldview. Will this book make me a racist if I read it? Right? People really care about that. And they want to know, like, are there racist characters? You know, there was a book that recently had an award taken away because one of the characters was racist and it really offended readers. If they had had a worldview reviewer, perhaps they would have found out about that sooner, that one of the characters in the story was racist. So there's lots of different worldviews and lots of different readers, and they all want someone to review books from their worldview. And again, it requires you to know your audience. Another kind of angle you could pick is a comedy review, right? Some people just use a book review as a chance to crack jokes and make readers laugh. Matthew Pierce writes this kind of review. You know, he has a one review called, I did not read Girl, Wash Your Face, but I am outraged by it. And that blog post, while it's technically, you could say it's a review, it's more of just a platform for him to make jokes and social commentary as a comedian. And there's a lot of demand for comedy reviews. I haven't seen this as much in the book space, but it's very common in the video game space where you'll have comedy reviewers. And they're not necessarily making fun of the book. They're just using the book as a tool for making jokes in general. It's kind of like they're using the uh, book or the video game as a ventriloquist dummy. Uh, so the comedian's not really making fun of his puppet. He's using the puppet to make unrelated jokes. Maybe the puppet's connected, but it's only tangentially so. But it makes being funny more fun. It just makes the social commentary more fun. And there's a lot of room for comedy reviews. If you have a funny bone and you can write good jokes, uh, there's a lot of demand for this kind of review. Another kind of review uh, that you could do is a technical review. Do you have a specific area of technical expertise? Perhaps you know a whole lot about guns or you review books specifically to say if they got the guns right. And <laughs> like some authors very clearly don't know anything about guns. There's a huge readership that's in gun culture and they want the details of the guns to be right. 
or maybe you're a historian or a scientist, right? Maybe you review the book to see if they got the history right or the science right, right? I'm reading this historical fiction. I want to know what was true and what was not true, right? What was the fiction part? What was the historical part? Well, if you're a historian and you write a review that breaks that down, that could be incredibly popular and really good at establishing your technical expertise, right? If you've been reviewing all these other historical fiction books on their history, and then you write a historical fiction book yourself, I'm going to trust that you get the history right. And then finally, uh, one more angle as I was brainstorming angles. Again, there's way more than this. I don't feel constrained. Uh, but it's a theology review. Uh, this applies more to nonfiction, but it can apply to fiction too. And you know, just because a book is published by a Christian publisher or whatever your religion is, doesn't mean that it has good theology. <laughs> and what good theology even is depends on the reader, right? One common reason that many Christian readers read reviews is determine the theology of the book. If I'm Reformed, I want to know if this book is Reformed. If I'm a Pentecostal, I want to know if this book is compatible with Pentecostal doctrine. And on and on and on. So uh, offering that theology review can be a really uh, valuable service. And if you're writing for a Christian audience or for a religious audience, it can be a really good way of, again, demonstrating your expertise, your authority on doctrine. All right, so those are some angles and you really have to pick those first because what angle you pick really determines how you approach the review. But all reviews need to include a, a few things. So let me talk briefly about what to include in your review. So the first thing you want to include is what I like to call a curiosity spiker, something that makes somebody's curiosity go through the roof. Because the first question you need to answer in your review is why should I care about this review? Uh, Mark Twain does this brilliantly in his review of James Fenmore Cooper. Uh, the title of his review is Fenmore Cooper's Literary Offenses. And Mark Twain opens with quotes from literature professors claiming that, quote, Cooper is the greatest artist in the domain of romantic fiction in America. It's <laughs> like, get your popcorn, ladies and gentlemen. We're in for a fight. What is Mark Twain going to say to these luminaries, right? You're curious. It's like James Fenmore Cooper. He wrote Last of the Mohicans. He's a, he's a stalwart of American literature. And yet Mark Twain says that he is the worst user of the English language in history. What? What on earth? I'll talk more about this review in a second. But he's got your attention, hopefully. And if not, you're probably not in his target market. And now I should say there are many ways to spike someone's curiosity. Don't feel like it has to be controversy or that you have to work in controversy to every review. Controversy is probably the easiest, right? People love controversy. It's like a car accident. People can't help but turn and pause to look. But there are other ways to make people curious. But you have to make people curious somehow. If they're not curious about your review, they're not going to read it. If you're writing a comedy review, open with one of your best jokes. If you're writing a technical review, make people curious, right? You have to say something like, is The Expanse really hard science fiction or is it secretly a space opera? Let's dig into the science and see. Right, if somebody's into science fiction and particularly hard science, they're curious, right? Is The Expanse really accurate? What in The Expanse is true to science and what is it that's fiction? Uh, the next thing you want to do in every review is answer the following five questions. So these are questions that you can guide. And I'll have these at the show notes at authormedia.com forward slash 293. And here are the five questions. What about the book did you love? What about the book did you hate? 
Who would like this book? Who would hate this book? And how does this book compare with similar books? And this fifth one is really where your review can stand out. It's in comparing this book with the other books that you've reviewed recently that really gives it context, right? If there's, you reviewed a dozen books and I haven't read any of them, which one should I read first, right? Which one did you like the best? Or what part of this book did you like compared to some other book, right? This book really got the characters right, but its plot was weak. Unlike this other book I reviewed earlier, you linked to your earlier review, that really got the plot and really nailed it. The more specific you can be with your answers, the more helpful your reviews will be. So don't say, I loved the book. Say, I loved the characters in the book. Or specifically, I loved the protagonist. The main character was so interesting. Every time she was on the page, I was having fun. Or I loved the villain. The villain was so cool, right? Whatever it is that you like, be really specific. And don't just say, I love the villain, but say, I loved how scary the villain was. Every time Darth Vader stepped onto the stage, I thought somebody was going to die and I was rarely disappointed, (laughs) right? Every time Darth Vader appears, somebody dies somewhere or maybe a whole planet of people die. Never know. So be uh, as specific as you can. Of course, being careful of spoilers. And what some reviewers do is they'll have kind of a non-spoiler review at the top of at the beginning, and then they'll have a spoiler warning, and then they'll go on to do the spoiler review. So it is possible to do both reviews at the same time. And then finally, after you've answered those questions, close with a summary. All right, so let me give you some quick tips to really make your reviews shine. And a couple of these I've already hit on a little bit, but I want to reiterate them to really make sure you hear me because these are what will separate mediocre reviews from amazing reviews. And the first is to pick a goal and an audience. Who your review is for will shape your review. Is this a spoiler review for people who've already read the book? Is it a critical review for people who have no intention of reading it? They just want to see that somebody else has attacked it. Right? I don't want to read the Communist Manifesto, but I want to see that somebody else has read it and proven it to be false or vice versa. Is this a review for potential readers who haven't decided if they're going to read the book? Or maybe it's a review for moms who are curious if the book would be a good book to buy for their children. Right? All of these audiences really shift the target of your review. And they also really guide you as a writer. Right? All writing needs to have a clear audience. And this is one of the tragedies of how writing is taught in school. Typically, the audience for most um, school writing is the professor or the teacher, and it doesn't teach uh, teach you how to adapt your message for the audience, which is like a fundamental principle of good communication. Anyway, uh, having a consistent goal across all of your reviews will help you develop your voice and give you really nice consistency and authority. Another tip is to make an argument, hopefully a strong argument, and then provide specific evidence. And if you want to see this done well, I really do encourage you to read Mark Twain's Fenmore Cooper's Literary Offenses, because it is a masterpiece. And in that review, Mark Twain lays out 19 rules for romantic fiction, and then gives examples of how Cooper violates 18 of those rules in the book Deerslayer. One of Mark Twain's rules is still commonly quoted today. In fact, you've probably heard it. And it's when this is where Mark Twain says, use the right word, not its second cousin. And throughout this essay, Mark Twain is teaching on what makes for good, clear, beautiful writing. And Twain concludes with this quote. 
Now, I feel sure deep in my heart that Cooper wrote about the poorest English that exists in our language and that the English of Deerslayer is the very worst that even Cooper ever wrote. (laughs) So, end quote. Now, Twain gets away with this scathing summary because he first gives evidence, example after example after example, to back it up. And if you write fiction, you really owe it to yourself to read the essay. It's only a couple minutes read, and it was really helpful in helping me learn how to write better. Another thing that I recommend is that you write both negative and positive reviews. Positive reviews build your audience, they demonstrate what you like, and develop relationships with other authors, which is great. It can be great for networking. A positive review is the playground of where it is fun to read. This is the playscape I like to play on. A negative review is the fence around the playground. Negative reviews build your credibility, demonstrate your taste, and develop your courage. Writing both negative and positive reviews gives your readers a good idea of what you like and what you don't like. And it helps them know that you're not just randomly picking books to recommend. I know you're afraid to write negative reviews, but you can do it. It's okay. And again, if you're going to do a negative review, do negative reviews of popular books of authors who don't care. Don't pick on somebody who's just getting started. It's easy to pick on someone's first book. It takes more courage to point out what's flawed in that New York Times bestselling book. Another thing that can help make your reviews stand out is to create a creative scoring system. A scoring system, when done well, gives your reviews better context and makes them more fun to read. And the more creative, the better. If you're doing five stars, especially if you plan to give every book either four or five stars, that's not a very helpful or very interesting scoring system. So I like Howard Taylor's three-star system. He has cleared the threshold of awesome, not awesome, not disappointing, and then finally fell below the threshold of disappointment. So that system is really helpful, right? It's very clear what the difference is between those three stars. But maybe you're doing a content rating, right? You can say the sex in this book was a G, the uh, language was a PG, And the violence was an R, right? You could use the movie rating system or some equivalent. Maybe you're using the video game or the TV version where you're giving things an M rating or here's the age I think it can be good for. There's a lot of different scoring systems. And the more unique and creative you make it, the more fun your reviews are going to be to read. Another thing that Howard does that I really like is that he ranks each year the movies as he watches them. So the first movie that he watches is ranked number one. Then the next movie is either rank number one or number two, and then so on. So by the end of the year, you can see how all the movies rank against each other. And this gives them a lot of context, right? You have maybe 10 movies that are, you know, cleared the threshold of awesome, but only one is scored number one. This is not a lot of work. It makes navigating the reviews a lot easier, and it makes them so much more contextually rich, right? I can see, oh, this one just barely cleared the threshold of awesome, but this one is you know very high. Whatever your scoring system is, I encourage you to leave a comment at authormedia.social with what it is, because there's so much potential here to think outside of the five-star system, uh, which is really just a two-star system for most people. Then my final tip is to study craft. If you are having a hard time drafting book reviews for books, it may be a symptom of not having read enough books on craft. The more books you write on writing books, the more you understand the philosophy and technique 
of writing great books, the easier books will be to evaluate and the easier the reviews will be to write and the more insightful they will be to write. So I have three book recommendations for you and I'll have uh, affiliate links for these books at uh, authormedia.com forward slash 293. And the three books are Plot and Structure by James Scott Bell. This will help you understand kind of the format of a good story. It'll understand what the difference is between Act 1 and Act 2, right? There are people who say beginning, middle, and end, and those words have a lot of meaning, and they know what the difference is. Then there are people who aren't quite sure what authors mean when they say beginning, middle, and end. So if that's you, really encourage you to read Plot and Structure by James Scott Bell. Then there's Getting Into Character by Brandilyn Collins. This will really help you understand making characters better in your story and also what makes for a good character in a movie or in a novel. And then finally, The Story Equation by Susan May Warren. This kind of combines those first two. I imagine most of you have probably read these three books. They're very popular amongst authors. But if you haven't, you really owe it to yourself to check out Plot and Structure by James Scott Bell, Getting Into Character by Brandilyn Collins, and The Story Equation by Susan May Warren. If you are just getting started with blogging, or maybe you're listening to this episode trying to decide whether or not you want to even have a blog, I have a course for you. It's called How to Craft Excellent Blog Posts, and it's all about how to write better blog posts. In this course, I'll show you what makes for a good blog post, whether you're writing it for your own website or for someone else's. I'll show you how to write good titles, how to optimize it to look good, and ultimately be the kind of blog post that people want to read and want to share. It's packed full of tips that I've learned the hard way getting millions of visitors to my blog over the last 15 years, or my blogs, I should say. Many blogs have blogged in a lot of different places over the years, and I've learned a lot of things the hard way, and I'd love to help you get over those things (laughs) the easy way. Uh, This course is included inside of the Obscure No More course, which is my kind of comprehensive course on building a platform, but you can also buy it individually. It's very competitively priced. Our featured patron today is John Schruger, author of The Exorcism of Frosty the Snowman. In the frozen north, children link hands in a ritual circle to sing a song they never learned, to summon a primordial enemy they never knew existed. Frosty is just a fairy tale, they say. They are wrong. (laughs) So thank you, John, for being a sponsor of this podcast or being a patron of this podcast. Now, I should say, I just read Jonathan's book, In Darkness Cast, which I really enjoyed. (laughs) So thank you for being a patron. And if you would like to become a patron, patrons get exclusive discounts on our courses and they get access to the podcast host directory and a patrons only episode every month where I answer your questions. You can find all of that at authormedia.com slash patron. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. And I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. To find the blog version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 293. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.